I grew up in an urban environment that epitomized infrastructure old and new. Naturally, like any city, New York had streets and sidewalks and houses and churches and factories and stores. But being a financial and cultural center, it also had office towers, skyscrapers, museums, concert halls, and libraries. All on a large scale and in great numbers. And it had bays and harbors and rivers and creeks and canals. It had docks and piers and ferry terminals, bridges and overpasses and underpasses, tunnels and railroads and subways and elevated trains called L's, which took us to beaches and boardwalks and amusement parks, as well as to Ebbets Field and Yankee Stadium and the polo grounds. The city was crisscrossed by highways mostly called expressways and parkways. But it also had alleys and mews that recalled the rows of stables of horse and wagon days. There were stations and terminals and airports and heliports. You name it, New York had it, and it still does. Though not necessarily in the condition I knew as a child and young man. Growing up in Brooklyn, I roamed the streets and avenues in my neighborhood of Park Slope ranging as far up the hill as Prospect Park, a tranquil island full of hills and meadows in the middle of a sea of asphalt and concrete, whose green undergrowth my friends and I explored at our leisure, especially in the summer. To get to the park, each day I could zigzag along a different route through the rigid grid of streets and avenues lined with brownstone row houses and other mostly domestic structures that crowded the sidewalks. If the day was nice enough for a walk to the park, it was nice enough to air out the house and probably have laundry drying on the clotheslines strung from window to window and window to pole across the diminutive backyards. The higher I got on the slope, the grander the brownstones became, and the fancier were the curtains billowing out of the open windows and the laundry hung by help. Naturally, the epitome of houses and views stood facing the park directly across from the low stone wall that delineated it. On some blocks, there were isolated architectural gems and oddities. Solitaires set among the more familiar cheek-by-jowl building types. One of note was a second Empire mansion that stood on 9th Street near 5th Avenue. It was built as a country retreat by William B. Cronin, a wealthy Wall Street merchant in the mid-1850s when this section of Brooklyn was still rural and punctuated by the occasional farmhouse. That changed with the development of the farmland itself, and no doubt, anticipation of the completion of the Brooklyn Bridge, which would occur in 1883, thus establishing the first fixed link between Brooklyn and lower Manhattan. Infrastructure has that kind of effect on land and neighborhoods alike. In 1888, the Cronin House was bought by Charles M. Higgins, the manufacturer of patented American Indian ink. It and he prospered, and a decade later, Higgins added a five-story brick building in the Romanesque revival style behind the house that the business had outgrown. When I knew it, the high-fenced factory compound reached completely through from 8th to 9th Street. And when the gates were open, we kids took the factory yard as a shortcut to and from the Avon, then a family movie theater with Saturday shows for kids.